Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. What are you waiting for? One of the sponsors for today's episode is Super Politics Podcast. This podcast is a new progressive politics comedy podcast. It's hosted by a public defender and a hip-hop producer. They're breaking down today's major political questions and giving everyone the correct answers to life. The show will tackle taboo subjects from a philosophical and comedic perspective. It often includes original music and sketch comedy. They're informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking. So, if you're into learning about anti-establishment politics in an entertaining way, this will be the podcast for you. So, wherever you stream your favorite podcasts, you should go and subscribe to Super Politics Podcast. Welcome to Reverie True Crime. Today's episode is going to be an emotional one. I had a conversation with the host of the podcast, True Consequences, Eric Landine. He tells the story of his baby brother, Jacob, who tragically passed away. The person who did this has never served their time. The family needs justice for Jacob. Please check the show notes to sign a petition for Jacob and to get all of the links for Eric's social media and his podcast. Let's get started. Hey everyone, today I want to welcome a very special guest to the show, a fellow true crime podcaster who I'm also lucky enough to call my friend, Eric Landine of True Consequences. Hey, Eric, thank you for joining hey. me today. 
thanks for inviting me and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, of course. So how did True Consequences start? Um, it started out of a desire to create an opportunity for people in my state to uh, share their stories about how true crime or how crime in general has affected them. Mm-hmm. And um, that all came out of really wanting to honor my brother who was a victim of murder and to do something that would make an impact on not only the people in the state, but hopefully eventually on the laws and, and on what justice means for victims and victims' families in the state. And I've always been obsessed with true crime. I've always been obsessed with a lot of weird stuff. Yes. I like, (laughs) (laughs) uh, when I was growing up, I would spend hours in the library reading about, um, ghosts and aliens and (laughs) crime, murder, just like everything that was weird and bizarre, um, because it all just fascinated me. And so, and so that's always been a passion of mine. And so I figured I could do, something, you know, I could create something special, hopefully something different. Um, at the, when I created True Consequences, there weren't a lot of um, state or region-specific true crime shows out yet. It's starting mm-hmm. to become more popular now. Um, but I, I felt like, you know, there was a there was a gap here in New Mexico, and, and so I made True Consequences happen. Yeah, I think you're the only person that I know that's doing New Mexico as far as I've seen. So... I found another one the other day. Yeah. She started a couple months after me. So that was, it was Uh, cool to see that there was somebody else out there doing it too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, can you start by telling me what your childhood was like and kind of before Jacob was born, how you were with your mom and your biological father? Yeah, sure. So, um, I was born in Socorro, New Mexico, which is a small town. Um, I was the second kid. Um, my mom had twins before me, but they both passed away, unfortunately. Um, one passed away from, um, he was, uh, miscarried. And then the other twin had a really weak heart. And so he was stillborn. Oh um, so gosh. I was, I was the second kid who was born and it was just a couple of years after um, Randy, who was my older brother. And, um, you know, in the beginning, everything was, was good for me. I, I remember both my parents loving me very much and, and really taking care of me. And, um, and then, you know, as things kind of, as I got older, um, we were moving around a lot. My dad is a Pentecostal evangelist. And he traveled a lot preaching around the country. And so we moved, gosh, I would say we probably moved like eight times or nine times in about two years from the time I was, yeah, from the time I was three until I was five. And it was, it wasn't like just moving to a different apartment. It was, you know, moving to a completely new city, um, every single time. So that was, that was tough. Um, and I remember at one point we were living in, I think it was Galveston, Texas. And um, 
I, I used to pray for a sibling. I just really wanted, um, I wanted a brother really bad. And so I remember, you know, part of my ritual when I was a kid was I would say nightly prayers every night. And every night I would pray that for the same thing. I would pray that my mom would get pregnant with a little boy and that I would have a brother. And yeah. I remember telling my mom <laughs> that I said, you know, I've, I've been praying and I, I think you're going to, I think you're going to get pregnant. I think you're going to have a boy. And she kind of laughed it off. <laughs> it wasn't long after that that she actually found out she was pregnant. And oh my gosh. Sh- shortly after that, we found out it was, it was a boy. And, um, I was so happy. I was very excited to be a big brother. Um, you know, I was, I think I was probably four, maybe almost five by then. And I just, I knew that it, it was going to be great. And around the same time, my parents started to have some problems, you know, in their relationship. Um, the biggest one was that my father would go preaching, you know, all over mm-hmm. the place and, um, he would leave my mom and I alone. And my mom being pregnant and also, you know, having to take care of me, she couldn't really work because it wasn't, you know, she couldn't afford daycare or anything. And, um, so she was stuck at home with us, with me and, you know, with her being pregnant. And, um, my dad was not very good at remembering that he had a family at home that needed to eat. And so things like, you know, sending us money or, or making sure that we had what we needed didn't seem to really be on his priority um, and on his priority list. So my, my mom in, in the interview I did with her on, on my show talked about how every single day we would go for a walk um, just so she could get some exercise. And um, every single day we would pray because we didn't know how we were going to eat. And, oh my gosh. Was, and we'd go walk around the block and then we'd come home and a neighbor would have left a box of food every single day. It was this elderly woman who lived, um, lived in the same apartment complex as us. And on top of that, my dad had started to have some kind of emotional relationship with another woman. And so my mom got really upset, as you can imagine, being yeah very pregnant and also <laughs> left alone for several times. So um, after my brother was born, we left my dad and we moved back to New Mexico from Texas. And, and so then that kind of started a whole other situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was my childhood. I mean, it was relatively normal aside from the fact that we were struggling and, um, you know, my parents were having marital problems. So, how long after they divorced um, was it, you know, before she met your stepdad? So um, the man who would eventually become my stepdad was my dad's best friend. Oh. And my mom had known him her entire life. Um, his dad actually married my parents. He was a preacher as well. And our families were very connected to each other. Um, his sister married my mom's brother. Um, all of the kids on, in both families knew each other. They grew up together. And all the grandkids, which would be my generation, on, in both families, you know, we all knew each other. We all grew up together. We all hung out all the time. 
Um, so there was always that connection, you know, to him that had always existed. And, and then on top of it, he was my dad's best friend. So my mom, um, he starts talking to my mom and, and just like a typical abusive narcissistic person, he really went out of his way to, um, make us feel good about him, about who he was. And so he immediately started love bombing us and, um, he would, you know, he would make comments to my mom, like, Oh, if you were with me, you would be so happy. And you know, why are, why are you with, um, with my dad? You know, he would, he would say things like that to try to get her kind of get in her head a little bit. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking that he was a great guy. Like I remember being excited to hang around with him because my dad was gone all the time. So I really didn't have much of a relationship with him and here's this man who wants to pay attention to me and wants to take me for a ride in his really cool Mustang and oh um, yeah wants to go watch movies and wants to listen to good music and you know he loved candy and sweets and so I was like this is awesome this (laughs) like this is kids (laughs) perfect world um and so we all we both kind of fell for his charms you know, and mm. uh, my mom, he convinced my mom to leave my dad, which she did. Um, he convinced her to file for divorce, which she did. And relatively quickly, we were living with him. Oh, wow. So yeah. did, was there like a difference between the way he treated your little brother and the way he treated you? Or? Um, it was subtle. We weren't really... Um, we weren't really aware of what was happening. Weird stuff started to happen, things that we couldn't explain. And there was never any blatant or in our face, uh, mistreatment of my, my baby brother, but, um, we started to find bruises on his body. Um, he had, uh, subdural hematoma on his head and they had to lance it and drain it. Um, we found sunflower seed shells in his crib. A lot of just weird stuff started to happen. And around the same time, uh, my mom's boyfriend started to make statements like Eric is very jealous of Jacob. And I saw Eric hit Jacob or Eric took uh, Jacob out of his crib and dropped him. Or, you know, I saw Eric eating sunflower seeds, so he must have been the one that put the shells in his crib. And started to really plant those seeds of doubt in my mom's mind that, you know, that I was possibly doing something to harm Jacob. And I wasn't jealous of Jacob. I mean, I was jealous of his name. I think I remember that. I remember feeling like he had a better name than me Aww. and being and being sad about it. And then my grandmother told me that my name meant princely. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm good with my name then. Um, but I don't remember being jealous of him. I mean, I guess I could have been. I was, I was, you know, five years old. It's possible that I was jealous of him. Um, yeah, I mean, I would think that would be normal for a child that is, 
you know, a, you've been an only child and you're used to getting all the attention. And when a baby comes in, that's any child, I think, you know, when the baby starts getting all the attention, that just, I mean, I think little kids just, I think that's normal. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I have such vivid memory of my childhood and that's not something that stands out in my mind as something that happened. Um, yeah. I definitely don't remember ever hurting him. I right. don't remember any of the things that I was blamed for doing. Um, but that's not to say that I, you know, I, it's possible, I guess. But when we talk about, well, I talked about it with a couple of experts. Um, you know, I was told that there's no way because I was accused of kicking my brother in the head. Oh, and wow. so, um, but I was told that there was no way that a six-year-old kicking him in the head would have caused a subdural hematoma and would have caused him to require surgery to drain it, uh, that there wouldn't have been enough force because yeah. a six-year-old just doesn't have enough strength to do something like that. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That is very true. And I know in the, when I was looking over your case file, that some of the statements were saying, you know, oh, he was jealous or, you know, Eric did this, and it was kind of like, did that, as a child, did that change how you felt about anybody? Did you know they were, you know, well, you knew your stepdad was kind of blaming you for those things. Did it change the way you felt about him when he was doing Um, that? You know, I've always been the type of personality that wants to make people happy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always been in my nature. And so I felt like I had to do what they wanted me to do and say what they wanted me to say so that I could keep everybody happy. And mm-hmm. he, you know, when I was questioned, um, this is a little bit further ahead than where we are, but when I was questioned, he, he said things like, don't lie, don't lie. You know, it's wrong to lie. Um, I'm convinced that that was his way of trying to get me to tell the story the way he wanted me to tell it. Um, Because that that type of behavior um, and that kind of manipulation was something that he later would show was his, like, MO. That's how he handled and controlled people in his life. Yeah. Well, I know that also in the case file that it said... Um, Jacob usually 
stayed with your mom's mom, your grandmother, uh-huh. when she uh-huh. was working. And um, what happened? What happened that day? Uh, yeah. So my mom, well, before that happened, um, my mom sent me to be with my dad in California. And um, she told this guy who we're not going to name, mm-hmm. she told him that uh, it was because she wanted to keep Jacob safe from me. But in her mind, it was more of trying to keep me safe from him because she was starting to suspect that he was doing things to hurt Jacob. And, and there's a few reasons why she had those suspicions. Um, the first reason was Jacob's reaction to him started to change. Um, Jacob was a very happy kid. He was always laughing. He was always joking. He was very mischievous. He liked to do crazy things and would just laugh his little butt off. Uh, he would pull the drawers out of the kitchen and all the knives and everything would fall around him. Super dangerous. And he's just like mm-hmm. sitting there laughing. Oh, uh, my goodness. You know, he was, he was a crazy kid. He had a big personality. He was so happy and so full of life. And so at some point, every time he would get around my mom's boyfriend, he would start to have what I would consider a panic attack. He would start screaming crying, shaking. He would claw at my mom. He would, like, cling to her shirt, and he would just be unconsolably upset. So that was one of the first red flags. Then one day my grandmother was playing with Jacob, um, just like you would with any baby. You know, she's kind of picked him up and throws him up in the air a little bit and catches him, and he laughs and whatever. He used to love that because he was a daredevil. That was you know, yeah. he was a crazy kid. Well, this particular time, he is grabbing my grandmother's hair, and he's screaming mm-hmm. and crying and shaking and just completely horrified. And my grandmother approached my mom and said, I don't know what's going on with Jacob. He used to love to play like this. Now he's freaking out. And my, my mom's like, well, what are you talking about? My grandma shows her. And my mom's like, oh, my God, this is so out of character for him. And so she approaches and confronts my stepdad and says, you know, have you been playing rough with Jacob? Have you done anything to hurt him? And he's like, no, what do you mean? And she's like, well, whenever, you know, we even put him over our head, he starts panicking. And he used to love that. And he's like, well, yeah, no, all I do. And he grabbed Jacob and, and started to throw him up in the air. And Jacob, again, started freaking out. And he was, like, reaching for my mom, like, desperately reaching for my mom, trying to grab onto her. And my mom told him, you know, don't ever play with Jacob like that again. And that really started to solidify the suspicions in her head that something was wrong. Yeah. And I, I was already in California at this point when all this was happening. <clears throat> so one night my mom was working, and she used to work at a grocery store, um, same one that my grandmother managed, and my aunt worked in a bakery. It's like a small town. You know, the whole mm-hmm. family basically worked Aww. there. I was a bag boy there. Um <laughs> But my my grandmother called my mom. It was about an hour before her shift was over. And she said, hey, you know, I really want to go to church tonight. Uh, what do I do with Jacob? And my mom was like, well, you know, I guess you can take him to my boyfriend. Um, because I only have an hour left. And she said, like, what's the worst that could happen in an hour? 
And um, if you listen to her interview, you know, that's one of the things that she regrets the most was that saying that and, and having that moment of just, you know, sending my brother off to him because I don't think that he was with him for even half an hour before he comes running into my mom's work panicking as the ambulance drives by with the sirens and says that Jacob is unconscious and on the way to the hospital. Wow. Well, she can't blame herself for that because she didn't know. You know, you can never think that something like that would, you know, is going to happen to you. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's hard to, to not have guilt about this for everybody. You know, I'm sure my grandmother has a lot of guilt. I know I have a lot of guilt, even though I did nothing <laughs> to yeah. hurt him. Um, yeah. it's just, it's just the, the idea that, you know, what could we have done? Could we have done more? Could we have done something else? Is there something else that could have happened to prevent this? So he was life flighted, um, to Albuquerque, which is about 75 miles away to, uh, the only trauma center we have in the state. Uh, University of New Mexico Hospital. And I was in California with my dad. And I remember being woken up at like four in the morning by my father. And he was very upset. He was crying and he, his eyes were red and he looked very flustered. And he said, Eric, we have to go. I need you to help me get your clothes together because we have to go get on an airplane and go back to New Mexico. And I I asked him, I said, what's going on? And he said, your brother, your brother's in the hospital and they don't think he's going to make it. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know that he was dead yet. Um, so we flew back to New Mexico on the first flight in the morning and we were greeted at the airport by the state police. And we were taken into uh, an interview immediately. And... Um, they separated my dad and I, and I remember before I went into the interview room, I saw my mom standing there, and I'll never forget the pain that I saw in her eyes. Mm-hmm. It's one of the hardest things that I've ever experienced, and I didn't quite understand what was happening, uh, but the state police started basically interrogating me oh my God. and asking me if I hurt my brother and if I was jealous of my brother and if I wanted my brother to be harmed and, um, and all of this stuff. And this, you know, prior to this is when he was telling me not to lie prior, prior to us going into this interview room. And, um, you know, when they asked me, it, it talks about me getting agitated and um, uncomfortable, that it was very obvious. And, you know, I, I told him I didn't I didn't hurt my brother. Yeah. I love my brother. I would never hurt him. That's all um, you wanted was a baby brother for so long, <laughs> so that doesn't yeah. even make sense. Yeah. And also I was in California, so. Exactly. Uh, it's just. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, part of it was because he was so insistent to them, um, 
that it was me, that I was the one that was harming him. And um, once we were once we were kind of done with the interviews, my dad was interviewed, my grandmother, everybody, the whole family, basically. Um, once that was over, we I remember leaving and, and going back to my grandmother's house, and my mom's boyfriend wasn't there. Um, you know, I think she told him to go away and leave her alone. And then we had the funeral, and and all that started to kind of happen. That was, was tough. It was kind of a defining moment in my life. Um, you know, saying goodbye yeah. to my brother. And, and you're still honestly just a baby, too. I mean... So it, what does what does he say happened that day? <laughs> Which time? Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess all of the time. Uh, I guess you can tell, you know, how his story changed and Sure. So, um, in the documents it's um there's a few accounts of his behavior the night that Jacob died. Um the doctor who was working on Jacob and who brought him into surgery had a conversation with him to try to figure out what was happening because he, he was very suspicious that uh, this was a child abuse case. It was just obvious. And my stepfather kept saying, uh, this doesn't look good for me. This isn't going to look good for me. They're going to think I did it. I can't believe how this makes me look. And and the doctor commented in his report that he seemed to be more concerned about himself than he was about the fact that my baby brother was in surgery uh, in, a, in a trauma center. And he didn't once ask if my brother was okay or if he was going to make it. He didn't once uh, say anything that you would expect somebody who allegedly loves a child to do. He wasn't reacting the way that a parent or a step-parent would react in that situation. He was more concerned with what everyone thought of him. And and the doctor immediately said, this is a red flag for me because it seems like he's he is guilty because of the way he's acting. Yeah. Um, so the doctor asked him, you know what happened? He said that he, that Jacob was being fussy, and that he um, was going to put him down to go to sleep. But he was dubbing some cassettes. He had this really expensive stereo that he was very proud of, and so he said that he placed Jacob on the couch for a couple of seconds while he turned over the cassettes to start dubbing the other side and within that short amount of time Jacob had fallen off the couch and he suspected that Jacob hit his head on the coffee table and he said that Jacob immediately was unconscious and was vomiting and choking on his vomit and so the doctor said you know basically that's not what happened um that's, there's no way that could have happened. That's not what caused his injury. 
Um, wow. So then he, he kind of clammed up a little bit. When the police interviewed him, he said he told that story. He told a story about, um, oh, I was playing with him. I was throwing a lot of me in the air. And then I couldn't catch him, and his head must have hit the arm of the chair um, when they didn't accept that uh, because the official um, I don't know if it's diagnosis is the right word, but the official statement from the medical investigator was blunt force trauma. And, and both of those stories that he's describing are sharp force trauma. And so oh, there's wow. no way that those stories would have resulted in the injury that happened to my brother. Then um, there was a story about him laying on the floor with Jacob's head resting on his neck for some reason. And something happened, and he had to get up really fast, and he hit Jacob with his head on accident, and then Jacob fell back and hit the floor. That's, um, a, that's a drastic story change. Was this yeah. not suspicious to, to the cops was, or anything? It was, it was very suspicious to them, and, and they, you know, they called it out. Um, he, and the cold case investigator that we had look at the case called that out. He said... This is a loose quote, but he said that Jacob's death was a result of one story. And that story is that he was hit in the head by an adult male. And it's not the three or four stories that my stepfather gave at the moment um, when he was being questioned. So it was very suspicious to everybody. It was so suspicious that the police ordered a polygraph. And um, they asked him two questions. Um, I don't remember exactly what those questions were, but I can give you the gist. Basically, they were like, um, did you intentionally hurt Jacob? And have you ever hurt Jacob? Something like that. Mm -hmm. um, he failed both of those questions. But Did they arrest him? <laughs> no. Uh, <clears throat> he told my mom that he passed it. So I remember going up to Santa Fe for that polygraph test. I remember being in the car with him as we were heading up there. And then I remember sitting in the car waiting. It was several hours that he was in there. He came back. He, my mom said, what happened? He said, nothing. I passed. And we went back home. Um, we didn't find out until much later that he actually failed both of those questions. Oh, no. Um, and then something else that we learned later was that he actually confessed. He confessed to the police about what he did. We don't know what he said. There's no record of it. There's no recording. There's no transcript. Nobody knows where any of this evidence is. It's gone. That is so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom, um, you know, believed him. She believed that he passed the lie detector test and she trusted him. And she stayed with him. And things got worse. Things got a lot worse for us. What kind of things, what, what, in what area did they get worse? 
if you can talk about yeah. that. In, in every possible way. Uh, it was like a switch had flipped in his mind, and he became a completely different person. He became a monster. And we lived our lives in fear, um, in terror. You know, uh, he would lash out with no provocation. Uh, we'd be sitting in the living room watching television. He would say something. I would look over at him. He would accuse me of giving him dirty looks. He would start screaming at my mom. And then quickly that would escalate into him beating the shit out of my mom. Oh, no. Um, and it was violent. And it was horrifying. And it happened all the time. Anything could set him off. Uh, we never knew when he was going to lose it. But we knew that it was coming. And so we were always basically walking on eggshells to try to keep him from losing it, even though it had nothing to do with us or what we did. Right. It was all about him. And um, he was never physically violent with me, but he would lock me away. Uh, my mom would go to work, and I would be locked in my room all day long. Um, I had a TV and I had a refrigerator and I had a Nintendo so I could keep myself entertained. I had a bunch of books and stuff like that, toys, <clears throat> but I wasn't allowed to leave my room. And if I needed the restroom, I would have to knock on my door and he would, if he decided to answer, he would open the door and he would say, what do you want? And I would say, I need the restroom. And he would say, no, you don't. He would close the door and lock it so I couldn't get out. That and me off. It was it was terrifying because I never knew what to expect with him. It yeah, was always I'm sorry? Oh, I was gonna say and before Jacob passed away, he was not like this. Not at all. Not at all. Um my mom would get beat up so badly that she wouldn't be able to go to work. And I remember one time we were supposed to go to an Easter picnic with my family. And, and so he had beaten her up really badly the night before. And she was black and blue and her lip was swollen and her eye was swollen shut. And she had bruises all over her body. And he lined us up. My mom was, Getting ready, he lined myself and his two kids up, and almost like a drill sergeant, he would pace back and forth, and he would say, if somebody asks what happened to your mom, what are you going to say? And he had given us the story that she had gotten into a motorcycle accident. And if they asked this question, what are you going to say? And it would just be drilled into our heads over and over and over again until he felt like we were going to give his story the way that he wanted to, to anybody who had questions about what was going on. And we had very strict expectations about how we were to behave. And he would tell me that if 
I I'm gonna use some foul language here. No, he would say, <laughs> "If you fuck this up, I'll kill your mom." Oh my god! And so I did whatever he wanted. That's terrible. All the time. Um, and then I used to sleep with weapons under my bed because I was afraid that I was gonna have to fight for my life. I never knew what was coming. It was always out of nowhere and it was always terrible and terrifying. And my whole personality changed as a person. I used to be a happy, fun, crazy kid, just a normal kid. I love to sing. I love to dance. I love to act and do all kinds of stuff. And um, I used to like memorize choreographed dances on MTV and, you know, do little performances for my mom. And like, I just oh, loved, I just love that stuff, you know, and, yeah. and he took all of that joy and he killed it. And I became a shell of a human. And, and life was, was scary and life was not fun. And I never knew what was going to happen. Um, one time he ran over my puppy oh, my because God. he was mad at my mom. And then he, uh, basically put his dead body in my face to teach me a lesson. Um, oh my he God. was just a, he was just a psychopath. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up this part here with just one more story that, oh, um, yeah. yeah. one, one day my mom and him got into a huge fight and I remember she was just screaming so loudly and then she just suddenly stopped and I started to panic because I just knew something was wrong. I just had this feeling that something was very wrong Yeah. and I was locked in my room with his kids. So I busted my window and I climbed out and I started throwing rocks through their windows in their bedroom. And I busted one of their windows and he got really angry and he chased me uh, down the road. My mom was able to get out of the house and, and leave. She was losing consciousness. He had wrapped a wire hanger around her neck and was strangling her to death. And you saved her life. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I um, just, it takes my breath away. And I, and I know, you know, I've heard, you know, this story uh, once before when uh, Fern mm -hmm. interviewed you for her um, podcast. And every time it just never, it never fails to just choke me up and, just take my breath away. I, I can't imagine going through that ever, but as a toddler, basically, you know, uh, you were just still a baby. I was a little older. I was, I think, about eight when that happened. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, sorry, I didn't clarify that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, I thought you were still, like, really, really, like, a lot younger No, this than was that. a couple years later, yeah. 
But and still, then, you know, you're still a kid, and a kid needs to be a kid, not worrying about that kind of stuff, and that just breaks my heart. Yeah, it was it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare that you never wake up from. And I remember just wanting to die because I just felt like that would have been better than what I was living with. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Are you okay? I know. No, yeah, I'm okay. Is, I just don't think that it, you know, ever gets easier to talk about. And I'm just super emotional anyway as a person. <laughs> so. Oh, me too. <laughs> I totally relate. <laughs> but, so. you know, I could never understand that that kind of pain that you that you have that's for sure and just makes me so sad did you and your mom ever talk about this you know through the years of you growing up and did y'all ever talk about this this time in both of your lives and what yeah. happened yeah um yeah we have a very close relationship we've seen horrible things together. We've survived horrible things together. And so that has created a very strong bond. I think we would have had a strong bond anyway, but that really solidified our relationship. And um, we both just look out for each other still to this day because, you know, we just, it's hard to explain what it's like. I've never been to war, but I imagine it's like going to war with somebody and coming mm -hmm. back. And after seeing all of that devastation, it's probably not as intense as war, but it was pretty intense. Um, I would say that is a, that's a very good comparison, honestly. Yeah. So, um, he would regularly tell my mom and, and me, the only way that we were going to leave him was in body bags. And he would make sure that nobody would ever know what happened to us. And we believed him. So um, I think I was about 10 or 11. He, um, he sexually abused me. And he started grooming my 13-year-old cousin. He would call her at my grandmother's house and hit on her is not the right word, but that's essentially what he was doing. Right. Um, he was trying to convince her to come over to so he could abuse her. And for me, like he told me if I ever said anything, to anybody that he would kill my mom and he would kill me and I had every reason to believe him. I was very afraid of him. So I never said anything to anybody. And my cousin, who really doesn't give a shit about what anybody thinks about anything ever, um, told everybody what he was doing as loud as she could. Wow. And, it takes and if it wasn't for her, I don't I don't know that we would still be alive because 
that was the fire that my mom needed to break out of that situation. And she did. As soon as she found that out, she was done. And she reported him to the police. And I didn't tell her, even after we left, what had happened, because I was still afraid. He was stalking us. Every day he would come to our house, and he would follow us to town. He would drive by while I was waiting for the school bus. Um, he would come to my window at night and tell me that he was going to kill me. My gosh. Uh, I used to sleep under my bed because I was so afraid. And so one of the things that happened in the investigation, you probably saw this in the case file, they accused my mom of changing her story. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess if you look at it from a black and white perspective, perhaps that's the case. Um, but I disagree with that. I don't, I, I don't, I don't believe that she changed her story because when you look at what she said, um, when they asked her if she felt like he was capable of doing what happened to Jacob, she said, I don't think so. Um, we didn't, we didn't think so. Yeah. Because of this personality, of this mask that he wore, um, anybody who knew him from the outside would have said they didn't think he was capable of it because right. of the way he presented himself. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't being abusive at this point, so exactly. nobody really had any reason to point the finger. He'd never shown any of that at that point. So when they asked her if she thought he was capable, she said, no, I don't think so, because she didn't. However, fast forward to four years later, after she's been strangled by this man, after he's tried to sexually uh, assault my cousin, after he sexually abused me, after we lived in terror under his thumb for four years, yeah, now she thinks he's capable of it. Absolutely. So the DA accused her of changing her story because in 1990, she went back and said, I want you to prosecute this guy for killing my son. And they said, no, we're not going to because you changed your story. And we don't believe you. And so she said, okay, well, I need copies of everything you have for my records. And they gave her a copy of the entire case file. And she kept trying. She sent several letters to the DA. She called regularly trying to get him to do something, and he refused. He would not do it. It's important to know that this man worked for the county. That's important to know. Oh, wow. It's important to know that he had the keys to every single building in the county. That's also important to know. Do you think that maybe he could have done away with some things that were in the file? There was a fire at the DA's office um, shortly after all of this, 
I'm not saying that he's responsible. I don't have any proof of that, but it's suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, we have copies of the entire case file or whatever they gave us. Right. Um, because otherwise there would be nothing. Um, he knew all of the police. They all grew up together. It's a very small town. He knew the DA very well. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to me. If you listen to the second part of Jacob's story on my show, the former prosecutor I talked to ran his information through the system mm-hmm. to do a background check on him and found that he doesn't have a record. Oh, wow. And, and that's very suspicious, considering the fact that <clears throat> the way that he behaves and the way that he treats women and children, I have no doubt in my mind that after my mom left him, he continued that same behavior with others. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Absolutely. I don't think that abusers just stop abusing you know, especially not overnight. Especially not with this level of violence. terror and yeah. violence. And and the fact that he used strangulation, you know, my friend Edna, who's a former prosecutor, said that is one of the highest indicators of lethality for offenders. Any form of strangulation immediately is a red flag that this person is capable of murder. Yeah, because that's a very personal way mm-hmm. to, you know, do do something like that. Yeah. So um, the DA basically just let this case sit on his desk, and there's a there's a time frame where you need to try a case. Um, it's called administrative closure. If you do no action, take no action on that case, no motions. No appearances, no grand jury, none of that. If you don't do any of that, the case just 
closes administratively. It's not closed, but it's also not open. It just kind of mm-hmm. goes into this purgatory. And that's what happened. He basically let it sit there, and then it went to the back into a filing cabinet somewhere and became a, a essentially closed case. Uh, and even with the police reports, which I have copies of, of my abuse and of the attempted abuse on my cousin and, and the physical abuse that my mom suffered, there's police reports for all of that. Um, of course, there's nothing on his record, even right. though we filed all these reports. I have copies of these reports in my office right here. Um, it does, it didn't matter. So the DA refused to do anything. And we gave up. I hate to say that, but we didn't know what else to do. Yeah, I mean, we it's were, like, what else, what else can we do? He's, you know, suspiciously, he's, you know, he knows everybody there and, if a confession mm-hmm. did happen, then obviously they pushed it under the rug, right? Because of knowing him, right? So it's like oh, we're defeated. You know what else can we do? Best, best case scenario, it's just pure negligence to try this case. Worst case scenario, it's some sort of um, cover up to protect him. Yeah. Either either way, it's wrong. A- anybody who looks at this case file can see what happened here. It's very clear. Yeah. It's, it's right in your face. It's there's no question about it. Like I don't understand how a prosecutor who's elected first of all <sighs> can look at this case and with a clear conscience, not want to do anything about it. How can you allow a baby killer to live free for 33 years and not even think about it? What kind yeah, of person does you, that? Whether you know that person or not, it should not matter. Exactly. You know, I told my son that if he ever hurt anybody in any way, that I would be the first person to turn him in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't, I don't love him, but I, I will not, I will not validate abusive behavior. I will not enable it and I will not put up with it. Yeah. Does your son know what you've been through with this? He knows some of it. Yeah. He knows some of it. He doesn't know all of it. Um, but, you know, he knows, he knows some family history. Yeah. I think, I think it's important for him to know some of it. Definitely. And so he can also kind of get an idea of why his dad's so strict. You know, about why is he saying if I do something, like, he'll turn me in, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of good to know a little bit so he can kind of get an idea of why, you know. So how, how in the world do you and your mom, even through the years of you growing up and, 
even now, how do y'all cope with this situation? It's, um, it's still painful. I don't know if it's ever going to not be painful for us. Um, I think for me, starting my show and not only giving Jacob a voice, but giving anybody who needs to share a story a voice has helped a lot. It's helped me feel um, less powerless in this situation. Yeah. Um, creating this platform for people who need justice, it's, it's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. And, um, and that pushes me to be better and to do better and to continue fighting for Jacob because, um, I, I watch these people who have everything taken away from them and they continue to fight. And it's so inspiring to see that, you know, I see people like Sarah Turney who continuously fights mm -hmm. for her sister yeah. in the face of like completely being ignored yeah. by the authorities. And, and that inspires me. And so for me, taking action is, is my way of coping. That's how I heal. That's how I handle this. That's how I can live my life. My yeah. mom. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, my mom, you know, she's, it's hard for her. She struggles. Uh, you know, life is, life is hard. Life has not been easy for my mom. But she continues. She's a fighter. And she also, I think, is motivated by the pursuit of justice. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to, you know, so many moms that have gone through something to this level where their children are taken from them, and they have to be some of the strongest women I've ever mm -hmm. talked to. I just have yep. no idea how they do it, but sometimes they're like, well, I don't really have a choice. You know, I have other children, and um, they'll say, you know, the injustice all of these people around them are going through that they've met online and kind of got this relationship with the way that they're being treated the same way. It's just yeah. kind of like, it just puts a fire in your belly to yeah. keep going. You're right. That's a hundred percent correct. And I think that that's, that's the key here. You know, it, it took me forever. It took me 33 years to create this show and to tell Jacob's story. And I didn't even tell Jacob's story until season two because I wasn't ready. Mm. And I was, I had a lot of fear and I still have a lot of fear about it. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's terrifying. You know, I was on the news on Sunday I had a mini panic attack about it because putting this information out there is dangerous. Uh, this person still lives in the same town that my mom lives in. Um, yeah. He still 
drives by her house, even though there's nothing there that he needs to be there for. She lives in the middle of nowhere. Um, that is scary. He still follows her around town. So it's not without risk that we're doing this. Yeah. But we we decided that that doesn't matter to us. What matters is getting Jacob's story out there. And even if we never get justice for Jacob, and, and that's a possibility, it's possible that we never, ever get our day in court. Uh, the chance of, of us getting our day in court is actually a lot lower than the chance of us getting it. Um, but if telling his story helps one person, then it's worth sure. it. I'm so and, sure, you know, because people do think they're alone and things like this. And to hear your story, it's going, it's going to make and has made a bigger impact than you probably realize. There's so much shame in being a survivor of this. And it's almost inescapable. You can't avoid it. It's just there. And coping with the shame is almost worse than coping with what happened. Mm. And that's that a powerful, shame is, That's a powerful statement. It's it's the truth. <laughs> that shame, it it keeps you silent. It's what the abuser counts on. Yeah. They they count on that. They count on you remaining silent because you're ashamed, because you don't want to burden people. I I don't want to burden people. When I tell this story, people react in such a strong way and I know it's not they're not trying to you know <laughs> be insensitive or or anything but it, it it hurts a little bit yeah because yeah. it's like this is my life that we're talking about here we're not talking about a movie yeah we're talking about my life we're talking about my mom's life and the horror and and I know it's not their fault like it is horrifying and yeah. so so yeah, all I of think that it's hard to, for some people to wrap their mind around oh this really happens in real life too like this it does seem like a terrifying movie yeah and it's hard for some people to wrap their minds around okay this really happens in people's real lives too and it happens a lot it happens a lot more than anybody knows because people like me and people like my mom don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And that's not bad or, or good or anything. It just is what it is. That's just the reality of, of going through something like this. You don't want to, first of all, freak people out, which it does. And then you don't, want to have to relive it over and over again. But, you know, I've decided that I'm going to. I have to. 
it's sad because it's so necessary for you to do that. And I know it gets so painful to relive it all the time. And just the sad reality is to keep the story alive and to keep, you know, when you have to legally, you know, go to somebody and mm-hmm. tell it the same way over and over. I, I just can't, I can't put myself in your shoes because I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it a day in your shoes. I'm not that strong, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I'm strong or, or what. I just, I, I know what's right. And I know what's wrong. And what happened to my brother was wrong. And what happened to my mom was wrong. What happened to me was wrong. And the lack of justice, he should, he should have to be accountable for what he did. It's just simple. It's simple, but it's not <laughs> because we yeah. have this massive system <laughs> to <Yeah>. navigate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's so it's out there in black and white, basically, yeah. for everybody to that has common sense to figure this out. Yeah. And when you're being ignored or shrugged off by people, you know, in power and they're supposed to serve and protect you and help you, and they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that that brings me to the question of what has his passing taught you, not only personally, but about our so-called justice system. Wow. Um, so much that we probably would be here all day if I talked about it. <laughs> as much as I want to but I'll I'll try to keep it brief Um, justice unfortunately the justice system isn't just and you know I was naive when I started this podcast about what it meant to get justice And as I've talked to more families and as I've talked to more people who have been affected, I'm starting to see that our system uh, is not set up to be victim-friendly, especially in New Mexico. Um, New Mexico is very defendant-friendly. Wow. And that's... You know, I have I have a hard time with that. Um, the defendant's rights are almost always considered above and beyond uh, in terms of importance, above and beyond those of the victim. And as a result, that's that's created this kind of situation where um, where people are maybe not really getting the level of justice that they they should. For example. It's quite likely that if we took this to trial to a jury, um, and if he was convicted, it's highly possible that he could get 
as little as three years probation for this. That's unreal. And and the reason is that he doesn't have a record. Mm, and so yeah. because our system is so defendant-friendly that that's taken into account, which, you know, okay, I'm all about fair trials and all about rights and all that stuff, but there's no justice in, in that sentence in my mind. And so there's a, there's a good chance that, you know, if we did go to court and he did get sentenced, that that could happen. It's just the reality of, of what's going on here. Um, there's a lot of problems. Another problem we have is the bail reform system that we have in New Mexico has created so many loopholes for criminals to, even violent offenders, to be able to get by with less than what they deserve. So, for example, there was a man who um, participated in the murder, rape, and dismemberment of an 11-year-old girl here in New Mexico. And because of this system that we have, he is now able to be in his house while he awaits sentencing. So he's home. He's not in jail. That is, that is horrible. I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, it's terrifying. And the crime statistics here have, have just really gotten out of control because, you know, on one hand you have police who are doing everything they can to create these cases and detectives that are creating these cases and providing them to the district attorney to try. On the other hand, you have this judicial system that is very lenient. And so it makes police morale go down. And I have opinions about police, you know, but it's just... for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then it makes them not really want to, you know, why are they going to arrest somebody if they're going to be out of jail within the next couple of hours, um, back out, you know, robbing people and, and breaking into homes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's created this horrible mess. So I, I've become disillusioned <laughs> with the yeah. justice system. Um, but I have hope. I have hope. And I, I have hope in the fact that, uh, that my show and other shows like it are are changing changing the conversation and bringing information to people that they maybe would not have known if they had not listened and I'm hopeful that this will result in you know whether it's me lobbying for legislation or other people because they're inspired that's that's the route I want to go. I want to make change. And even if I never get justice for my brother, I want to see things change here. Uh, it's changed. It's changed me. And then I think the other thing that Jacob's death has done to me is it's, it's made me really aware and, and empathetic for people that are in this situation. I just, I feel 
for them on a level that I probably wouldn't if I hadn't been through what I've been through. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, that's just really hard to really digest it all, and it's mm -hmm. just so heartbreaking. Yeah. But I, I do have hope, and I do, I do believe that one day there's definitely going to be justice for him. And when that happens, um, what what would you want to happen to the person that did this, if you had your say about it? Um, you know, I that's a, that's a hard question for me because I. Part of me wants to say, like, keep him in prison for the rest of his life and let him be tortured and, you know, all that stuff that goes yeah. through your mind. And, but, but me as a person, like, I'm not that person. I'm not a violent person. I'm not a person who wants harm to come to anybody. Um, but I would say that at the very least, I would want to be able to face him in court and, um, and I would want him to feel the pressure of knowing that he didn't get away with this. That he is not as free as he thinks he is. And so whether that's prison for the rest of his life or even if they only give him a few years or whatever, I, he needs to serve some time for what he did. You can't tell me, you can't convince me that a baby killer and a wife beater and a child sexual abuser does not deserve to be in prison. No one's going to ever convince me of that. No. He should not be able to do this to anybody ever again. And, and that should have happened immediately. Definitely. And now that they've dropped the ball, they're leaving the door open for something like this to happen again. And it's, it's terrifying that number one, he didn't get arrested on the spot, mm -hmm. but number two, you've let this person back out into the world to basically yep. think that, oh, I can get away with whatever I want. Yep. The negligence, whether it was intentional or not, it's put people at risk. It's put children at risk. It's put women at risk. And he's had 33 years to continue this behavior and to continue to victimize people. And I don't know if we'll ever know exactly how much harm he caused and how much harm their unwillingness to act caused to others. That's right. Because other people, they're going to be just as scared to come forward about their story. Yeah. And, we'll, you know, it's sad that we may never know how much damage he caused to other people's lives as well. Yep. What do you know what his family thinks about him after all these years <laughs> or what they believe? So 
my mom had an interesting interaction with his sister the first time she tried to open this case in 1990. And his sister said something along the lines of, we tried to warn you what he was like. We tried to warn you and you didn't listen. You, this is your fault. Um, I can't believe you're trying to bring this up now. She was basically blaming my mom for my brother's death. So, uh, but she did say, we tried to warn you, almost saying that she already knew what his behavior was like. I can't help but shake my head a lot. I've been shaking my head quite a lot through this conversation, and it's hard for me not to butt in and say, oh, my gosh, or wow, or no way, or it's just really hard for me (laughs) during these, these heavy conversations not to say something. Hey, everyone. The phone recording app that I used stopped recording right at the end. There was about five or ten minutes at the most that was cut off. We basically talked about the petition that he has for Jacob. Please take 30 seconds out of your day to sign it. I put the link in the show notes. You can also find all of Eric's social media accounts in the show notes as well. He was super grateful to come on and tell Jacob's story to all of you, so I really hope all of you go show him so much love. In a few days, myself and a lot of my fellow podcasters have a special joint episode coming out together, and it's our way of expressing our solidarity on our platforms to all of our Black brothers and sisters in the U.S. and all over the world. I really hope you stay tuned for that. It's very different, and we all individually had a part in it, but I have to shout out Crime Lapse and Morbidology for editing and putting it all together. We all want to show our love and support. We love you, we see you, we hear you, we respect you, and we're here for you. We can't understand, but we always will stand. Black Lives Matter. I love you all, and we'll talk to you all very soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Stay healthy and stay safe. Please stay safe, stay aware of your surroundings, and don't become a subject on my podcast because I love you.